0: Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 8, starting from verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, who fed you in the wilderness with manner that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Uh, our New Testament passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation.
1: Heavenly Father, help us to hear your word. Help us to not be deaf, but to hear what you have to say in our hearts that we might respond. Holy Spirit, Please help our hearts to be soft and open to hearing your word. That We might not presume upon the grace we have received, but that we would respond with faith and repentance, that we would grow in these things. Help me to speak clearly from this as I ought. And Lord Jesus, as we gather here in your name, may you bless us in the hearing of your word today we pray all of these things in your beautiful name and for your glory and our joy. Amen. I was in a Bible study a few weeks ago, and in the middle of the good discussion that was happening came a really good question. How do we keep growing in holiness and obedience? The person asking the question said that they knew all the right answers in their head, but it just wasn't getting into their life. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever felt that way too? That the knowledge in your head, the stuff that you know, just doesn't seem to translate into action. You know, you may know a lot of stuff. You may have gained a lot of knowledge over the years and years of being a Christian, and you've heard all of these life-changing, impactful sermons from church here um, and the preachers here. But it just doesn't seem to make any impact. You just kind of wake up on Monday, and you trudge along. Does that resonate with your experience? I see a few nods. I see a few people too maybe embarrassed to nod. We're in the book of Deuteronomy And we're in the middle of a a mini-series within this book. And this mini-series of three sermons covering chapters 5 through to 11 has this consistent message being preached by Moses. Hear and obey. But in these three mini-sermons, in these three, not mini-sermons, in these three sermons, uh, Moses gives a nuanced and slightly different reasons each week for why we should hear and obey. So last week, uh, Pastor Richard took us through and reminded us that the, our love for God should lead us to loving others. And so love is a profound reason for obedience. Next week, we'll look at how circumcised hearts that are given wholly to God is another reason for our obedience. So today, the message is relatively simple. Obey God because of your new identity be who you are saved to be if if you've ever struggled with connecting your head knowledge with practical obedience today is a great day to listen and if you don't struggle with that well today is still a great day to listen and if you're sitting here and you couldn't care and you're already bored well today is still a great day to listen We begin our passage today with actually quite a full-on command in chapter 7, a full-on command from God. As they go into the land, as they meet the inhabitants, they are commanded to utterly destroy them, to totally annihilate them. Now, this command from God is, I hope, as you're hearing that, causing a little discomfort. I'm going to read it. Uh, We're going to make some observations on the details and then work out how we can understand this command, this full-on command. So read it with me from chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. I'll read through to verse 5. Verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods." Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images with fire. Full on. Let's make some observations as to what exactly they're being told to do. First, you'll notice that they're told to devote these nations to complete destruction, When Israel take the land, uh, and it's as though they are to wipe the land clean of the presence of these inhabitants. Second, they are to make no covenants with the people. Don't make any agreements to let them live in the land with you. Third, do not marry them or give your children to marry them, because in verse 4, they will turn your children away from worshiping Yahweh, and then God's anger will be kindled against you. And finally, their job was to go in and destroy the inhabitants' places of worship, to break down their altars and chop down their asherim, which uh, were these kind of big pole structures and carved idols. Now, you can imagine how verses like these have caused people to question the goodness and justice of God. You can just imagine having dinner with a friend. They say to you, this is religious genocide. Have you ever thought... What you would say to that accusation, what would you say in response to that? So how would, should we then understand what's going on in these commands? Uh, I'm going to say a few things, um, but let me invite you up afterwards. If you have more questions about this, please come and speak with me afterwards, okay? Let me just say some brief things. Uh, the first thing we should see is how limited these commands are. God is not commanding something that they are to do for the rest of their history. Uh, these commands are restricted only to the land of Canaan. It is not a policy of furthering their borders, and it was only for the time that they were entering into the land. The second thing we should notice and uh, we should consider that, was that this was an act of judgment, not a way to show Israel's superiority. God told Abraham all the way back in Genesis 15 that these, this is the land that he was going to give to him and his offspring. But there were nations in there that were living there, and their sin was not yet complete. So, it was going to be another 400 years before Israel would return and be God's chosen instrument of justice. See, the people in the land were not innocent. The place was filled with abhorrent practices like Child sacrifice. God was giving them 400 years to repent, and now they were going to face His judgment. Final big thing that we should consider is that killing people was not the primary objective of these commands. It was about getting rid of anything that would weaken Israel's duty to follow and obey God. These commands were about Israel's holiness. See, they couldn't just absorb the people of the land. Otherwise, that would mean absorbing their gods, and Yahweh would not tolerate that. And not getting rid of these nations would also become a thorn in the side of Israel. They were to be a holy nation, but holiness is not contagious to other people. It requires effort and diligence and personal sacrifice to get there in order to follow God. Holiness could not be spread just by living next door to someone, but uncleanness is contagious. You read through the book of Judges right after Joshua, and you'll see Israel don't do a good job of taking the land. They keep these foreign nations around them. They have trouble kicking them out. They don't trust God to kick them out. And the influence of these nations among them continue to be a stumbling block to Israel. Their presence and their idols are contagious to Israel, and Israel just wants to keep following after them. So this is not a genocide. This is not about race. This is not about ethnic cleansing. It's about Israel cleaning the land in preparation for God's people to live and worship and glorify God and be a light to the nations. See, that's why they are to go in and clear the land. It's because of who they are. Right? This is how Moses puts it. Have a look at verse 6 with me in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than other, any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They are a people holy to Yahweh their God. To be holy means to be set apart. Set apart. To be holy is in contrast to be common. Think of it this, this way, right? I've got a toothbrush that I have set apart for the cleaning of the algae on the rocks in my aquarium, right? That is a common toothbrush. And then I have a toothbrush that is set aside for cleaning my teeth. That is a holy toothbrush, right? (laughs) I dare not mix them. And so I have this cheap, uh, I think it was like an airline toothbrush, right? I use that because I don't ever want to brush my teeth with that. Israel were holy to God. They dare not mix themselves with unholy people. And then they have the undeserved privilege of being chosen by God. Israel wasn't chosen because they were the largest nation. Actually, they were the smallest. God chose them because He loves them and because He's keeping His promises to their forefathers. Isn't that just astonishing? It's just so backwards. See, the legends and the ancient myths had the gods choosing people because of some special worldly quality. They were big, they were strong, they were mighty people, they were large. But here is Yahweh taking what is small in the eyes of the world, taking what is unremarkable in the eyes of the world, And setting his love on his people. A love that chose them, that made and kept promises to them. That rescued them with his mighty hand and outstretched arm and showered them with blessings. And this comes with two responses for Israel. In verse 9, they are to know God. And in verse 11, they are to obey God. Read with me again chapter 7 verse 11. Chapter 7 verse 11 you shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. So we heard last week the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and the statutes and rules are going to be teased out in the coming weeks. But notice that final word, today, when are they to respond? Today. In a hundred years, as the generate another generation reads these words, when are they to respond? Today. In 200, 400 years from now, as they were reading and hearing these words again, when were they to respond? Today. The present moment, right now, as you live and breathe, this is your opportunity to respond with hearing and obedience to God. So long as it is called today, listen and respond faithfully to God. And seek to live in obedience because God of God's promise to provide for you. If they heard His voice, if they obeyed, then they would be showered with blessings. We read some of them in chapter 8, but have a look at the list in chapter 7 from verse 13. Chapter 7, verse 13. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that He swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all the sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. Now, you you see this kind of list of promises and it can get really easy to get caught up in all the specifics of the blessings and forget that it's actually the Lord, who gives them? So it's kind of like how you, when you receive a birthday present, right? We teach our children, our family, to not just receive the present and then rip open the wrapping and then grab the gift. We teach them: you sit down and you carefully read and give thanks to. Uh, you carefully read the card, and then you give thanks to God for the giver of the gift, because receiving a gift should never be about the gift in it in of itself. Receiving a gift should always cause us to be thankful for the giver. And as we focus on the giver, you'll notice that the blessings He gives, they've all got the kind of brushstrokes of Eden all over them. Here's what I mean. Adam and Eve, right? They're placed in the Garden of Eden, and they were told to look after the garden and be fruitful and multiply. And the blessings here in Deuteronomy 7, they've got that same sort of language, you look at again in verse 13, God blesses the ground, making it fertile, so that work will become easy and a joy. And in verse 14, God promises that none of them will be barren, so that they will be fruitful and multiply. And then you get verse 15, which is sort of this kind of reverse curse, and it has this Genesis 12 flavor about it, right? Remember in Genesis, God promised to Abraham that he would have many descendants, they have a land of their own, and he would bless them, they would be a blessing to the nations, and... Anyone who curses you will be cursed themselves. And so here in verse 15, you've got this promise in the form of a blessing. Anyone who hates you will be inflicted with disease. See, life in the land is going to be like a return to Eden. Remember that it was disobedience to God's commands that got Adam and Eve kicked out. And now by the grace of God and His provision and promise, God brings His people back into the land, which will be like the Garden of Eden. They will look like what humanity was meant to be. In perfect relationship with God, in harmony with each other, the land bearing fruit. Can you see what God is promising here? It's a restoration of their identity, an identity that they were created to have, that they lost through slavery, and then they were saved out of that slavery to be back in relationship with God. And this restored and renewed identity was meant to lead to obedience and blessing. This is Eden 2.0. Israel was Adam, God's son. God was their father. It's a fresh start. And if God provided all of that for them, then do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We saw this theme back in the opening chapters, right? If you remember back to a couple of weeks ago in the uh, opening chapters of uh, Deuteronomy 1 to 3, right? Remember how Israel was afraid to go into the promised land because of all those giants? And here in verse 17, Moses returns to that theme. This time he encourages Israel. When you go into that land, when you become afraid because the nations are bigger than you, what is it about bigness that we're afraid of, right? If you go into the land, the nations are bigger than you, then keep trusting God. Moses takes them back to Exodus, to the escape from Egypt. Remember how small you felt then? How utterly powerless you felt? Remember that because God, who rescued you out of that, will look after you when you're in the land. Remember the past grace you received and the promise of God's future grace now. Remember how you were bought, how God brought you out of Egypt with such power. Trust God's promise that He will do the same to the people you are afraid of. Trust that God will be with you, says Moses in verse 21. Trust that God will take care of you, says Moses in verse 20. Meaning, God's even taking care of the details of how they will enter the land and how He will remove the inhabitants, but He will remove the inhabitants kind of bit by bit. Because it kind of makes sense. If they go into the land and God says, All right, let me just wipe it all clean for you. God says, Well, if I wiped it all clean for you, the wild animals will run wild and overtake you, so I'm going to take care of you as you go. i got it. I've got this. Can you hear Moses? He says, guys, God has got this. God has got you. He's with you. He's been with you before. He will always be with you. He loves you. He chose you. He's keeping His promises to your forefathers, and He'll keep His promises to you. So, keep trusting Him, Keep listening to him. Keep following and obey him. Now, have you noticed in chapter 7 that there's a lot of kind of head and hands application, right? Things that they are to know about God and things that they are to remember and things they are to do. Now, I want to point that out because as we turn to chapter 8, another word pops up a lot. It's appeared once in chapter 7. Here in chapter 8, it'll appear four more times. And it's the word heart. The word heart comes up so much in the book of Deuteronomy, which is interesting, isn't it? This book about law, which is so filled with heart, right? It appears quite a lot in these early sections. It goes a little bit quiet in usage, and then boom, it appears an enormous 11 times in chapter 30 alone. Now, why am I pointing this out? I'm pointing this out because as we turn to chapter 8, there's two basic commands. Don't forget, but remember. But when Moses tells them to not forget, he's not telling them about something about simple knowledge of something. It's not like the subjects that you learn in school, and then years later, you're just going to forget them. That's an encouragement for all the students here. You're stressed about your exams? Don't worry. In five years, none of it will matter, (laughs) right? He's speaking to their hearts. He's not just speaking to their knowledge in their minds. See, trace this line of thought with me as we flip through the references to heart uh, in this this section. So you've got chapter 7, verse 17. Chapter 7, verse 17. If you say in your heart they are too big, etc., verse 18... You shall not be afraid, but you shall remember. Right? Their memory there is that they are to remember is not just in their heads alone, but a memory in their hearts. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how God led you and tested your hearts to humble you. Again, he appeals to their memories, but also a memory of their hearts to point to here what that was like, to remember and hear what that was like. Uh, chapter 8, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. See, see how God relates to you as a father to a son? That's not just something that you know in your head. That's something that you feel, that you experience in your heart. And then there are two more warnings, uh, one in chapter 8, verse 14, And one in chapter 8, verse 17, both times warning them not to lift their hearts in pride. Why does he focus so much on their hearts? Let's take a step back and ask the question what is the heart? You know, when we we talk about the heart, we often just talk about our emotions, our feelings. That's, That's how we commonly talk about it. Even when Christians use the word heart, you can kind of just substitute it with feelings. So if anyone ever says to you, God, put it on my heart to do this, you can just really say, you've just got a feeling that God is telling you to do something. But when the Bible uses heart, or the word heart, it's so much more than just emotions and feelings. You do a word search for the word heart, and you'll see that it's the place where our thinking comes from. The heart is where our thinking comes from. The heart is also where we make our plans and decisions. We use our hearts to trust, and our heart directs what we love and what we put our hope in. What we treasure the most is what captures our, what, and what captures our imagination is where you will find our heart. See, the heart is simply the control center of your entire life. And here's the heart problem. Here's my heart problem. Here's Israel's heart problem. Here's your heart problem. Hearts are forgetful. The fantastical things that God has done for Israel fade into memory and become shadow, those memories become dull. And like a knife that has its sharp edge dulled with time, you use it less and you appreciate it less. See, the memories of God's work don't seem very useful anymore. And there's a danger to forgetting God's great works from the past. Moses warns them, chapter 8, verse 11, you forget what God has done, And forgetting what God has done is the path to not listening to Him or obeying Him. And not only that, our hearts then take the driver's seat and they start to convince themselves that everything they have won was by their own hands. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart... My power and, my, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. See, this is what it means to forget God in your heart. It's to have the memories of God's work fade into shadow and to elevate yourself into prime position. So Moses calls to their hearts to remember. Don't forget, but remember. And again, this goes way beyond just memory recall. It's more than just knowing something in your head. He's calling them to not just remember the facts, but also the heart response in those moments. Walk with me through memory lane. Chapter 8, verse 2. Memory lane. Chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Look at what they are to remember. See what they are to remember? Remember the 40 years in the wilderness the dirt, the dust, the long days of walking, your tired legs. The sun burning down on your skin and trying to hide yourself from its scorching heat with some shade. Remember how God led you here because He was humbling you. Remember how much it sucked. But you knew that it was a test of your heart. To test, to see if you would listen to Him and obey Him. Remember how you wanted it to end, but God said, no, 40 years of this. And so you counted off the years waiting in hope that you would finally get back to the promised land again. Remember how that hope fueled you in the desert to keep faithful. Remember how you got hungry. Remember the days on end that your stomach was in pain because of hunger. Remember your child. And how they whinged and they complained rightly because you had nothing to eat. The pain that you saw in their face and you couldn't do anything about it. And then remember how you were walking around and the rocks began looking like loaves of bread. You were so hungry. And then remember the day when Moses said, Tomorrow morning, God is going to provide manna for you. And you go, manna, what is that? And you see, yeah, it's what is that? That's literally what it is. What is that? Remember how you got up at dawn, you ran out into the fields, and you saw these kind of wafer-like things on the ground because what God said was true. He provided for you. Remember the joy after that first meal, after days of no food, how you felt full, how you were satisfied, how you heard that. You hear that? That silence. There's no more complaining or whinging from your child because they're rolled over there in a food coma. <laughs> right? Remember how that God provided for you because you don't just live on bread, you live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is more than just knowledge, this is a heart memory that includes all of their senses and that profound memory of trust. Moses is calling on them to remember in their hearts because it's in their hearts that they feel, that they experience, that they decide and that they trust. And the more they work on this type of memory, the more they would trust God and listen to him, and obey him. Don't forget, but remember. Israel are given this immense opportunity, this moment that they were living in. They were being reminded of the immense privileged new identity, the good news, sorry, the good news is that they were once slaves and now they were freed and they were in relationship with God. The good news is that we're freely given this new identity. And with this privilege comes the responsibility of obedience to God. So do not forget this, but remember in your hearts all that God has done and live obediently from there. It's what they've been saved to. So the good news that Moses is telling Israel is simple. Be who you are saved to be. Keep remembering that. They're going to enter a land with influences that will sway them here and there. But the message from Moses is clear. God's people are to be who they are saved to be. That's the same message that we have today for those who follow Jesus. Be who you are saved to be. But in Christ, we have something better than Israel. Moses warns them that they might have a heart problem. Now, in the coming weeks, he's going to get more clear on that. Your hearts just cannot do it, right? But in Christ, we have new hearts, and we've been given the Holy Spirit. And as Paul and Peter say, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and in Christ, we will one day inherit the new heavens and the new earth. See, Jesus doesn't just bring us back to the Garden of Eden, he promises to bring us to the new heavens and the new earth, a new creation, a new garden. And so with this promised, brighter, eternal future garden is also the word that this is where you belong. It's your new identity in Christ. And look at how Peter describes Christians today. Look at this language of Deuteronomy saturating his words. So in your Bibles now, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And as we read it again, just hear the language of Deuteronomy. 1 Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you, Christian, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see how astonishing that is? Peter takes what belonged to Israel and then he gives it to us. He gives it to us, nobody's people who didn't have a clue about God before, who weren't born into this specially chosen nation. But now, out of sheer undeserved kindness, we get the good stuff. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I hope you'll come to experience this one day, and I hope you'll see that Christians can never stand before anyone and boast of their own goodness and strength. I hope you'll see the Christians here at SLE Church boasting only in one thing, I'm a nobody. Everything I have is because of the grace of God alone. And I hope that you'll want to know the same God who will also shower you with the same blessings if you trust his son. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you know the immense and astonishing privilege that you have and notice this privilege comes with a responsibility. So pick it up again in 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 11. Straight after all of these astonishing uh, new privilege, he says this, Beloved, 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 listen clearly, closely. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Can you see the pattern that we've been seeing in Deuteronomy today? It's the same one. A privileged new identity leads to obedience. Privileged new identity leads to obedience. Pastor Steve, I get that. I get that. I know that. I I know that already. I know that I have a new identity in Christ. I know that it should lead me to obedience. But Pastor Steve, I keep forgetting. I, I keep forgetting. I keep slipping back into old sinful habits. I mess up. If I were to chart my spiritual growth, it would be a plateau. It would be flatter than my dining table. How many of us struggle with that? How many of us are saying that same thing? How do you keep that connection between your identity and ongoing obedience? Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to get more specific about what the actions of obedience will look like But this sermon, along with last week and the week to come, they are about our heads and our hearts. What we believe and whether those beliefs are really in our hearts. They are, whether they are in the control seat of our lives. So, how do you go about heart work? Now, flip back with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 8. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and 8. So, come back with me. And I want you to notice the language of taking care so, have a look at chapter 7, verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. You shall therefore be careful. Uh, have a look at, jump to chapter 8, verse 11. 7 11 to eight eleven. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. Go down to verse 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart. You see those words? Be careful. Take care. Be aware. Beware. Those words are also littered throughout the book. To take care, to be careful, to be aware. All of that takes attention to detail. It takes time. You see, in order for Israel to do these things well... They needed to take the time to meditate upon God's Word and meditate upon their memories in their hearts. So remember that question at the start of today, how do I keep growing as a Christian? How do I keep getting better? How do I get better at obeying God? If you want your heart to remember, because... Out of this new identity, out of this heart, comes your obedience. If you want your heart to remember, if you want to keep growing in faith and changing, if you want to grow in your obedience, then it will require taking care, being careful, and being aware. Now, there is a biblical practice that I don't know how many of us are familiar with. It's meditation. Now, it's not Eastern meditation where you empty your minds, right? Biblical meditation is where you sit and you ponder and you reflect through the Word. Meditation helps you to be careful, to take care, to be aware of what is in front of you. Here's how the Puritan Thomas Watson put it. Without meditation, the word preached may increase knowledge, but not affection. There is as much difference between the knowledge of a truth and the meditation on a truth as there is between the light of a torch and the light of the sun. Set up a lamp or torch in your garden. It's got no influence. But the sun has sweet influence. It makes the plants grow. The herbs flourish. Just so. Knowledge is like a torch lighted in the understanding. It's got little or no influence. It does not make a person better. But meditation is like the shining of the sun. It operates on the affections. It warms the heart and makes it more holy. Are you tackling your Christian life with a torch or with the power of the sun? If you walk away from today, I'm going to echo Pastor Richard's words from last week. If you walk away from today and go, that was a good reminder, I will have failed. maybe you will have failed to hear as well. We walk away from today, must, we must walk away from today with a renewed sense that I must meditate upon his word. I have to battle my Christian life with the power of the sun, not with a little LED torchlight on my phone. That's the two options we have at the end of the day. If you want to take care, if you want to be careful, if you want to beware, if you want to grow that heart of ours, of yours, then we will meditate on his word until the memories of our salvation and God's great work flood our hearts and fill our hearts until they are rich and overflowing. Take care, friends, by meditating on God's word, letting it fill you richly. Let it cause your heart to be warmed so that holiness and godliness are the joyful response.